Jacob looked up, and there was Esau coming with 400 men. So he divided the children among Leah, Rachel, and the other two female servants. He put the female servants and their children in front, Leah and her children next, and Rachel and Joseph in the rear. He himself went on ahead, bowed down to the ground seven times as he approached his brother. Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck, and he kissed him, and they wept. Then Esau looked up and saw the women and children. Who are these with you, he asked. Jacob answered, they are the children God has graciously given to this servant. Then the female servants and their children approached and bowed down. Next, Leah and her children came and bowed down. Last of all came Joseph and Rachel, and they too bowed down. Esau asked, what's the meaning of all these flocks and herds I met? To find favor in your eyes, my Lord, he said. But Esau said, I already have plenty, my brother. Keep what you have for yourself. No, please, said Jacob. If I have found favor in your eyes, accept this gift from me. For I see your face, for seeing your face is like a gift to me. Seeing your face is like seeing the face of God, now that you've received me favorably. Please accept the present that was brought to you, for God has gracious, been gracious to me, and I have all that I need. And because of this, Jacob's insisting, Esau accepted the gift. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You might want to keep your Bible open to Genesis 33. We're going to be backing up a little bit. And let me just say again, Happy Mother's Day to all online and all to the mothers here in the room. And let me just say to the choir for the beauty of the earth, thank you so much. That was the first anthem that I learned as, a, as I sang in the youth choir at Memorial Drive Church. You took me back many years ago. And let me tell you, it was my singing in the choir that got my parents back to church because we were unchurched for 10 years. So the Lord brought my mother and father back to the church because I was singing in the choir. And uh, my mom and dad both loved the Lord much. They just took a little 10-year uh, uh, hiatus from the church because the boys were very busy. Um, but that's just a good way to remind us of how family is so important. Family faith is so important. This baptism we've celebrated today, Chelsea, Patrick, is so important. Nicole, you guys being here as well, the congregation, because the faith holds us. Even when our lives get a little disrupted, even when we may step away for a while or a season from God, even when our lives are a mess. And if you know Jacob, Jacob and Esau's story, it is a mess, and we're going to get into that in just a moment. But let's first pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the church, for faith, for calling us by name as we are marked in our Christian baptisms. Long, Lord God, you are faithful, and you hold us tight throughout the journey, even though the path may be long and crooked. And as we look at our story today, Lord, we're grateful for your grace, your amazing grace that brings a reconciliation at the end. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Friends, an elementary teacher, a second grade teacher, was giving a lesson, and she taught the children about a magnet. She showed them how the magnet worked and everything, sent them home for the day, and the very next day, she gathered the children around. She went up to the board, and she drew uh, six dashes for the letter. She said, I'm thinking of something that starts with the letter M, and it picks up things. Can you tell me what it is? And the child's hand went up and said, Mother? Yeah. 
We are grateful. I am grateful to a mother who picked up many things in my life, and uh, I'm grateful for, for her great legacy of faith. This is my first uh, Mother's Day without her. And uh, so those of you in the, in the same category of lost mothers, send them on ahead to Jesus. We recognize and are grateful for them today. And uh, we just want to uh, be mindful that even though moms have picked up for us, let me just give a word to all the moms in the room and to the dads. You don't have to clean up every mess. We have a big God. And God's role is to be faithful to the baptism that we have celebrated today, your baptism, to be faithful to his grace, and to be working and wrestling with us and showing up in, in uh, places we least expect to remind us of who we are, whose we are, because God is with us. And because God is with us, we know that even Bad relationships can be rectified. Bad relationships can be reconciled. And that's what we want to look at today in the story of Jacob and Esau. Boy, if you've been in the church maybe all your life, some of your life, if you've done the reading of the Bible, if you read the book of Genesis, you know about Jacob and Esau's story. You know that these twins are about as far opposite of each other as they could have been, though they're raised by the same mother and father, right? And uh, we want to acknowledge today that uh, there was a great rivalry around among them, and uh, we'll get into that. I'm going to have to unpack, so I've opened, asked you if you want to open your Bibles, if you want to leave it open, Genesis 25 through 33 covers the story of Jacob and Esau. Now, friends, that is nine chapters of Genesis, which is 50 chapters long. So it's one-fifth of the book of Genesis tells the story of these two and their rivalry and all the things that happened in their lives. We're going to kind of talk about that. You already know how the story ends because I've just read it to you. I'm going to give you the backstory today. And hear this. We're continuing our sermon series, God is with us because God is not going to abandon Jacob. He's not going to abandon Esau. He's going to be about his transformative work. He's going to bring about a reconciliation at the end. So let's hop into the story around Genesis 25. Uh, the Lord hears Isaac's prayer after 20 years of, of being uh, unable to have a child, and Rebekah is now uh, conceived, and there is a baby. There are two twins inside of her, and the scripture says they are jostling inside her. They are struggling inside of her. And, and I looked up the word in Hebrew. You know, I like to do word studies. And it says to crush. And I thought, oh my gosh, that can't be happening inside of a woman, right? And then, well, I thought, I have no idea what I'm talking about. So I'm just going to leave it at that. Let's just say there was a lot of pain and discomfort even before these two came into being, even before they breathed their first breath. And the Lord tells Rebecca, there are two nations within you. The, they will be separated. One will be stronger than the other, and the older one is going to actually serve the younger one. She knows that this is not going to be easy raising children. You thought raising teenagers is hard. She's going to be with these boys a long time, and there's going to be strife among them. Let's get into the story. The twins couldn't have been any more different. Esau, the firstborn, let's just say, if you read your scripture, he has a serious hair problem. 
And Jacob was of smooth skin. Esau loved the outdoors. He was a skillful hunter. He loved to go out and hunt and bring back wild game for his father and, uh, and have his mom prepare his favorite meals for Isaac. And uh, Jacob, though, loved to stay at home. He loved to be among the tents. He was a mama's boy. He even liked being in the kitchen. One time when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came back from the fields, and he was famished from all the hard work he had done in pursuing wild game. And he said, could you please give me some stew to eat? It smells so good. And Jacob said, only if you will give me your birthright. Friends, that's a big deal. The birthright meant that you were the lead child of all of the children. It also meant that you got the largest inheritance, and here... We see Esau, who some commentators say may not have been the brightest bulb in the chandelier, trades his birthright for some stew. And at the age of 40, we've also learned, it's fun when you go back and you read the scripture, Esau marries some Hittite women because they've had to move because of famine. He marries some women of that region. He doesn't stay within the family tribe. And this brings great disgust and uh, grief to Isaac and, Rebe and to Rebekah. So let me just say, you don't choose who your kids marry, right? And so I was just amazed at how real this scripture is and how common day we have problems sometimes in family dynamics. And it's very real here for Isaac and Rebecca and for Jacob and for Esau. So you know the story. You know the story. This is probably the most familiar story of our. Isaac is getting ready to die. He knows his death is coming. He's on his deathbed. He says to Esau, go out, get the best wild game you can. You know what I like, son. Bring it back, prepare it for me, and then we're gonna, I'm going to give you my blessing. I'm going to place my hands on you, and I'm going to bless you. And Rebecca hears this, and she doesn't want her son, her oldest son, to get the blessing. She wants her favorite son, Jacob, to get the blessing. And so she conspires with Jacob, and she uh, goes and she makes quickly Isaac's favorite meal with goats from their own flock. And she gets some of Esau's clothes out of his closet, puts them on Jacob, and then she gets some goat skins. This woman is a real woman. She skins those goats, and she takes that hair, and she places it on her son, Jacob, right? And so now we're set up this conspiracy has happened, and Rebecca is a big part of it. Jacob has a moment of clarity and says, if I try to pull this over on my dad, and he realizes it's me, he is going to curse me. And Rebecca says, no, I'll take the curse for you. And then I love this as I read the scripture again. She says, now do what I say, okay? You have to understand here, friends, Jacob is 40 years of age, okay? He's 40 years of age. She pulls the mama card out on him. I don't care if you're 40 years old, you're going to do what I say, right? And so he does it. Jacob goes, he meets with Isaac, and he successfully steals the blessing of his older brother. And when Esau comes back, Genesis 27, 41, if you're tracking along, Esau, Esau held a grudge against Jacob. He said to himself, Apparently, he mumbled it also for his mother to hear. The days of mourning for my father are near, and then I will kill my brother Jacob. Can you get any more dysfunctional than this, right? And upon hearing, Rebecca hearing what's going to happen to Jacob, she says, you need to go to my brother, Uncle Laban, until the fury settles down, and she sends him off. 
And then at the end of Genesis 27, read the words yourself. Rebecca makes a comment. She is so disgusted by Esau's choice of wives, and now she's lost her son, that she is, in today's words, severely, if not clinically, depressed. Friends, I promised you a messy story. It doesn't get much messier than this. Dysfunction, brokenness. Can God fix this? Can God do anything here to make this right, to bring reconciliation? Well, I've already shared with you the end of the story, so you know where it's heading. But let's continue the storyline, filling in a little bit more of the backstory. The night that Jacob leaves home, he's at nowhere particular. Genesis 28:10 says he reached a certain place. There's an open spot in the road. He pulls off. He's going to camp there for the night. Nothing special about it until he has a dream. He has a dream. And you know if you were a, grew up in childhood Sunday school, you maybe learned a, sto- a song called Jacob's Ladder. Do you remember? We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. We are climbing Jacob's Ladder. Right? But you know what? That's bad theology. <laughs> because nowhere in the story is Jacob climbing a ladder. We find that it is the angels who are coming up and down. It is the Lord who stays at the top of the ladder. And the Lord declares over him, I am the Lord your God, God of your father Abraham and of your father Isaac. All the people of the earth will be blessed by your offspring. That's the declaration of blessing. Again, God's reminding him, you have my blessing, Jacob. And let me remind you at this point, Jacob is a 40-year-old man. He's just left home, and his brother wants to kill him. And in Genesis 28, 15, God says what this sermon series has always been about. I am with you, and I will watch over you wherever you go. There's the promise that has been given to him. And when Jacob awoke... He declares in beautiful words, surely the Lord has been in this place and I was not aware of it. How awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he names that area Bethel. And now I see the great wisdom of our brothers and sisters at Bethel Church because that meaning of Bethel means a place where God is. It is the house of God. It is a gate of heaven heaven. So here's our first lesson if we're taking notes this morning. No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how bad it may seem, no matter what is going on that it seems so messy that God could never sort it out, remember always God's promise on you. Chelsea Patrick, remember today in the baptism. Remember that we have declared God's blessing in our lives. Remember the day that you gave your life to Jesus Christ and you pledged to follow him and that God would always be with you. These are the messages we need to hold on to today. And if we could just pause for just a moment and uh, stop for a second on the story of Jacob, I want to take the story that Eduardo shared with you. Just to give you a little story about Timothy, young Timothy in the faith. We hear about young Timothy in the faith who was Paul's helper. We know that he traveled with him from city to city. We know at times that Paul, when he needed to check on a church like Corinth that had trouble, he would send Timothy in his place to check on that church, to encourage that church, to maybe even admonish that church. And I picked up this from this uh, reading this week from 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 10. Don't give Timothy anything to fear. Don't treat him with contempt 
Send him on his way with peace. If you've studied the Bible, you know that the Corinthian church was messed up. You know that the Corinthian church had lots of problems. Well, you can add to the list, along with some of the other problems they have that are for other sermon, they were also mean to Timothy. But here is in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, these great words. I remember Timothy, I remember your grandmother, and I remember your mom. And they had such deep, profound faith. And Timothy, I know that faith is in you. You fan into flame that great faith legacy that is in you by the laying on of my hands. So just a reminder of how important family legacy is. How important it is that grandmothers and mothers are bringing their children to church. And we have generations. And this morning's baptism was the fourth generation child of this church. How important is the legacy that we pass on from faith to faith family to family, and in Jacob's case, he has the promise, but his life is still a mess. But God reminds him, I am with you. I will always be with you. The next couple of gen uh, chapters of Genesis 29 through 31, we're going to breeze over quickly because, friends, there is where he marries. He has children. His flocks multiply. But there's one loose end in his life that still needs to be rectified, and that is he knows he has difficulty with his brother Esau, and he knows that things are not right, and so he's determined that he will go back to see his brother. But he does so with fear on his mind. And friends, as you heard in the scripture, as he sent the message to his brother that I'm coming back to reunite with you, he gets back from the messengers, your brother is coming to you, with 400 soldiers. And the scripture says in 32.7, great fear and distress overcome Jacob. He divides up his flocks. He tries to think of a way to protect himself, but then he deals with it God's way. Hear this now, 32.9, he prays. God of my father Abraham, God of my father Isaac, you said go back to your country and the relatives will be there and I would, I would prosper there. I am unworthy of all the kindness and faithfulness you have shown. Save me, save me from my brother Esau. He cries out in prayer. And the second thing I want to share, prayer is always how we acknowledge God is with us. Whatever you can make a prayer to God, even if it is save me, God, it is a prayer and that is what connects. And one of our go-to prayer verses when anxiety is ramping up is Philippians 4, 6. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And this week, as I was studying the prayer life of Ruth Bell Graham, do you remember Ruth Bell Graham? That is the, uh, the wife of Billy Graham. Billy Graham, friends, I think preached to 215 million people to share the gospel of Jesus Christ, but his very own son, Franklin, was not a believer. His very own son was a prodigal in his own household. And Ruth one night woke up in distress, thinking about the prodigal Franklin in her life. She was driven to Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious for anything, but in all things through prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. She stopped everything. She had never heard with thanksgiving before, and she began to thank God for her son, to thank God for even their struggles, to thank God for his provision, to thank God that God's word and promise was upon him. And there she gave up the worry, and she began to worship. 
and in her words, I learned that worship and worry cannot coexist in the same heart. They are mutually exclusive. When the worry starts ramping up, friends, in your life over family matters, the prayers have got to come. And when the prayers come, the worship begins. And when the worship begins, there will be no more fear. And that is the formula we need to dwell on. That is what we need to hear today. When the anxiety comes up, let the prayers begin so that when the prayers begin, the worship will come. And when the worship comes, the fear will be driven out. That's what we want to embrace today. And let me tell you, in America today, fear is rising up. It's because what? Worship is going down. If we can bring worship up in America, that's our job to tell people to come and begin to worship the living God. As we begin to worship God together, I believe the fear will begin to come down. And that is what begins to happen in Jacob's life. Jacob is now prepared to meet Esau. He pulls back the night. He chooses solitude the night before they're going to meet and have this time of meeting each other. He sends his wife and his children ahead. He stays back and he lingers. He chooses some solitude. In the works of John Mark Comer, solitude is engagement. Isolation is escape. In the words of Richard Foster, loneliness is inner emptiness, but solitude is inner fulfillment. And when he pulls back in solitude, guess who shows up? the Lord Almighty, the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac. And you know the story. All night, he wrestles with some angel being. He doesn't know who it is, but by the end of the wrestling and the wounding of his hip, he knows he has seen the very face of God and he has survived. He is now ready to meet his brother Esau. He renames the area Peniel because he saw God face to face and his life was spared. His life is ready. It is centered on God. And friends, the reunion begins to take place. God has also prepared Esau for this moment. And Esau throws his arms around his brother's neck and he kisses him and reconciliation happens. And friends, in that moment when reconciliation happens, I believe God is smiling from heaven, if not applauding, that these two brothers have reconciled. Esau, in this moment, desires to not receive from his brother. God has been good. He has plenty. But his brother insists, please take these gifts I give to you from my herd, right? And I want to remind you of the latter story, the top of the ladder. God says, all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. Who is the first person? Who is the first person that receives the blessing of the younger brother, his older brother Esau, as he blesses him with what God has blessed him with? The promise does become fulfilled. So friends, as I wrap up my thoughts, God's greater will is accomplished. We celebrate Romans 8, 28. The fact that when we love God, all things work together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purposes. I remind you of the prayer of Ruth Bell Graham, spending hours praying for her prodigal son in her book recording prodigals and those who love them, that when we pray, we begin to worship. And when we begin to worship, we celebrate the God of promises who begins to begin to move in our lives. He can show up in the most obscure locations and do a good work and change our hearts. He'll answer our prayers when humbly offered, and he can do immeasurably more than we can ever ask or imagine. 
So I know you didn't come today to think about who you're in, having relational difficulties with, but I'm here to say to you, no matter what happens in life, no matter how hard it gets, no matter what challenges you face or where you bump into people, God can work things for reconciliation. God can bring healing if we will remember to pray. God can embrace us if we'll remember our baptism and celebrate the fact that we are God's children. We can choose solitude when God can show up instead of isolation, which oftentimes gets us into trouble. And when we pray, let us be mindful to be thankful. And today, let's be thankful for mothers. Let's be thankful for the women in our lives, our grandmothers, our mothers, our aunts, our teachers, all the women who have blessed us and showed us the way of Christ. Today, let us remember that God is with us, and he's with us in our families. Thanks be to God. Amen.
Thank you for watching our broadcast this morning. I'd like to personally invite you to join us for Sunday morning services at 8.30 and 11 on our campus at 300 West Irwin Street, downtown Tyler. God's up to something here at Marvin Church, and I don't want you to miss out. I hope you'll visit our website to learn more about our church, its ministry, and serving opportunities. And if we can be of any help and assistance in your spiritual growth, I hope you let us know.